Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Jude. The book of Jude is found near the latter part of the New Testament. Jude is actually a letter, a very short and intensely emotional letter, where our author writes to a church warning them about a group of traveling teachers that are bearing a message that is incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jude says these teachers will incur God's wrath and judgment, and they must do everything they can to resist their teaching. Now, that topic might not seem to bear much spiritual material for you and I today, but let me submit to you that there is much good instruction and encouragement for you and me in 2022. And I look forward today to sharing with those five topics from the book of Jude. Those five topics are, first of all, the word of God, God's message to us when God speaks. Second, the wonder of God's love. Third, the worthiness or value of the church. Fourth, Christian witness. And finally, worship. The word of God, the wonder of God's love, the worthiness of the church, witness, and Christian worship. Uh, Let me read the first couple of verses for you where we find our first topic, the word of God, God's message to us, our Bibles, Jude's inspired letter, all refer to God speaking to us. And we find this uh, important topic in our first couple verses. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now Jude does an interesting thing here. Uh, there's a marked feature at the beginning of his letter where he introduces these four groups of three, these four triplets of 20 present throughout the entire letter. Now, these groups of three are important for grabbing the audience's attention. Jude is cueing them that these are going to be present through the entire letter, these groups of three. This was an important uh, Uh, technique in an oral culture where the only person that had a copy of Jude's letter was the person reading it. Let me just name those four groups in this uh, first couple of verses. Jude gives us, first of all, three names, his own, Jude, then Jesus, and then his brother James. He gives us three titles. He calls himself a servant, He calls Jesus the Christ or the Christos, the one chosen, designated by God to reestablish the Davidic kingdom and reign as sovereign over the entire cosmos. And then the final title is brother. Three descriptions of the letter recipients, all Christians and you and I by extension. We are called, we are loved, and we are kept. And then three prayer requests, mercy, peace, and love. Now, this rhythm that Jude begins to establish with these groups of threes builds up expectancy and anticipation in the audience. They they are cued to the fact that there's going to be more of them. 
And you might imagine this rhythm and expectancy if you think of yourselves walking down the street uh, with a stick in your hand by a fence post and you tap every equally spaced post along the fence and you get this rhythm going. The nervous system has built up this expectancy for this pattern and you come to the end of the fence and there's this letdown. Well, Jude has primed his audience to pay attention by expecting more of these patterns of three throughout the entire letter. And he's doing more than just playing a game with them. Jude wants to secure and keep their attention because what is he, what is he about to share with them is more than his opinion. It's God's message to them. It's God's divine word. Someone once said to me, and it's always stuck, that it's a very dangerous thing not to pay attention when the word of God is being spoken. When the word of God is being preached or read, to let one's mind wander and ignore the message. It is the beginning of rebellion when we fail to listen to God. Jude knows it's important for his audience to listen and pay attention because it's God's word to the church. Attention to scripture is important because it's the only place where we can find out if we're living godly lives. It's the only place where we can find out if we're living ungodly lives and we need correction. And finally, it's the only place where we hear the promises of God and can be encouraged. We need all three. We need affirmation that we're living according to God's word. We need correction. And then finally, we need motivation. And for Jude, hearing goes beyond just letting the sound waves bounce off the ears. He wants listening that is attentive, that is responsive, that results in a change in one's lifestyle upon hearing God's word, and that is retentive. Attentive, responsive, and retentive. And sometimes I wonder in my own life if responding to the word of God is much like taking on a diet or an exercise program or cleaning the shower. We recognize a, a habitual sin in our life and we know it needs correction. We know we, uh, it needs to be done and we'll say we'll do it tomorrow and tomorrow never comes. Jude reminds us that there's nothing more important than listening to God when he speaks. The word of God. Our second message from Jude, the love of God, the wonder of God's love, also presents itself in the uh, opening verses in verse two. Jude prays for his audience that they may obtain mercy, peace, and love. Jude knows that these virtues are only ones that God can um, supply in their truest sense. Mercy, peace, and love. And it's interesting what Jude does here. He takes a standard opening greeting or prayer and changes it a little bit. All New Testament prayers begin either with grace, mercy, and peace, or grace and peace. This seems to be the typical pattern of Christian letters. And Jude deviates. While he prays for mercy and peace, he adds this novel aspect of the love of God. And he probably 
does this on purpose because once established, especially again in an oral culture, when there's a deviation, they stand out. Jude wanted his audience to reflect on this great perfection of God, the wonder of God's love. Divine love is God expressing emotion. And in a sense, God puts himself at risk when he loves because some people will never love back and the rest will only love back occasionally and partially. People fall in and out of love, but God's love stops for nothing. It's resolute and devoted to the other, no matter how hostile that other may be. God's love is one for which no sacrifice is, to enrich, uh, is too great to enrich people who are hostile or who didn't even ask for it or are opposed to it. The wonder of God's love. This simple yet deeply profound truth is illustrated in a story about Karl Barth. Karl Barth was a Swiss Reformed theologian who is probably best known for his huge uh, five-volume commentary on systematic theology. He was a great Bible scholar. And in 1962, he was giving a lecture to a group of students sharing his theological findings, and the time came for question and answers. A student stood up and asked Carl, what was the greatest theologically, theological discovery that he's made over his entire career? The audience was on the edge of their seats, ready to hear this momentous theological discovery, and Carl Barth simply said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The wonder of God's love. So we've got the word of God and the importance of paying attention to it, the wonder of God's love. And another way that Jude speaks to us in his letter is his passion and love for the church, the immense value that he places on the community of the redeemed. In verses three through four, he gets into the heart of his message using strong emotional language. Follow along as I read in verses three and four. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write to you and urge you to contend for the faith. Here, faith simply means either the Christian gospel or that body of Christian doctrine that makes up uh, Christianity. To contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals, these are the false teachers, whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. There's some emotional words in here. Jude's compelled, he urges, and he contends. In the original Greek, contend is a word that means to exert ex excessive effort against an opponent on the behalf of a larger group. Mental effort is required to combat false teaching and combat heresy. Moral effort is needed to apply correct doctrine to one's life. Jude loves the church and he wants the church 
to remain sacred and holy and important. And he closes the high importance he places on the church and his contempt for those who wish to destroy it in this letters. And may I submit to you that you and I need to keep and, and embrace the strong value of the church that Jude has. Many actions sometimes, or lack of, seem to communicate a rather low value of the church. Little or no church attendance, no attention to the discovery and development of one's spiritual gifts. But the Bible tells us we are not at liberty to place our own value on the church. The Bible gives its own value to this God-ordained institution. It is the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Acts 20, 28, as he's talking to a group of overseers, keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. Jude places high value and worth on the community of the redeemed, and you and I should do that as well. And just a side note about fighting for correct doctrine, which Jude talks about here, that's a vital warning for you and I today because sometimes we tend to misinterpret scripture that leads to doctrines and practices that are unacceptable to God. We tend to misinterpret scripture to support our perversion of truth rather than letting the truth transform us. An important message for you and I. The worthiness of the church, Jude loves it and he places high value on it. So Jude's instructed the church to contend for the faith, to fight for the gospel, to fight for Christian doctrine, to avoid heresy as one way to deal with the false teachers. But he gives them a second set of instructions in verse 22. Instructions about Christian witness. These set of instructions are to be used both on the false teachers and those who have likely come under their influence. Verse 22, he says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Jude gives orders here to rescue those on the brink of disaster, snatching them from the fire. Now notice here, Jude doesn't recommend a soft, slow approach to evangelism. Sometimes a direct approach is necessary. Jude's instructions here for rescuing sinners communicates the need for a swift, direct, and vigorous approach for reading the reaching the lost. For Jude, today is the day of salvation. Procrastination is not an option. Sometimes we need to embrace this swift, direct approach to, re to reaching the lost and this direct involvement in the task of evangelism. We need to be ready to speak in a timely fashion rather than only live by example. Sometimes we hesitate to speak Sometimes we don't speak because we're afraid, and our lack of speaking causes more harm than good. Jude tells us that those, there are those that need to be snatched from the fire. They have started on the wrong path, and they need to be rescued. 
The emphasis in these instructions remind us about some other things, divine grace. God still reaches out to even the most abstinent. His grace is unmerited and yet available to them. Jude communicates God's hatred for sin and a strong belief in God's judgment, all combined with a genuinely Christian concern for the recovery of even the most abstinent. Christian witness, sometimes direct, swift, and vigorous is the approach necessary. So Jude's talked to us about the word of God, the importance of listening, the worthiness of the church, the wonder of God's love, and Christian witness. And then finally, in verse 24, he concludes his letter with a doxology, or a prayer. And in it, he provides us with our last topic for discussion today. In verse 24 and 25, he says, to him who is able... I love that word to describe God. We worship a God who is able to, to do his will even in, a, in the most evil world in which we live. This is a wonderful title for God. God is able. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. A lot of things we can learn from this closing prayer of Jude's. Well, first of all, notice that it doesn't request anything. Often prayer is just simply praising and worshiping and thanking God for his splendor and his goodness. Certainly personal prayer requests are an important part of prayer, but worship is sometimes just reflecting on God and his attributes and praises his splendor and goodness. And in a day and age when the media highlights the glamour of celebrities on one side of the spectrum, and then we see all the evils transpiring in the world around us, it may seem strange to just worship because it doesn't seem like we're doing very much. And when we worship, we aren't doing anything except reflecting on what God is doing and orienting our behavior towards those realities. Worship is giving attention to the acts and attributes of God. Jude tells us we are going to be present. He's going to present us before God's glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That is hard to imagine or even unimaginable. But it's a reminder that the essence of heaven is the presence of God. It will be our greatest joy to be, to be in God's presence. And Jude reminds us of that. And then finally, I want us to notice that this prayer was public and participatory. We are clued into that by the closing amen, which was the response the congregation would have give, given. Public worship and participatory worship is important because it's where we declare our allegiance and our loyalty. It's through public worship that the church confesses that it will bow to no other God but God alone, above all other people, institutions, 
and value systems that may lay claim upon us. It's a verbal testimony that drowns out the hymns and songs of this age that espouse anti-Christian values. And another reason that public worship is so important is because it's a statement to those in earshot that the church will bow to no other gods but God alone. A lot to reflect on there about worship. Well, in Jude's short letter, that isn't an exhaustive list, but he's remind us about the importance of listening to God and paying attention. He's reminded us to meditate on the love of God and that deep yet simple profound truth. He's reminded us about the importance of Christian worship, that some witness that sometimes needs to be direct and swift, the value and worthiness of the church, and then finally public worship. I can think of no better way to close our time together in our study of Jude than to recite together the doxology in Jude 24 and 25. Will you pray and praise with me together as we read this? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Would you stand?